Hey guys, it's Trevor, host of Ghost Party Radio. Um, as you can tell from my voice, I am about to give you all some bad news. This week's episode will be a solo Trevor show, just me talking, because Adam Scervantes Wagner is not going to be on the show this week because he is feeling under the weather due to him getting the booster shot. Um, please send him some nice messages. Please don't send him in his inbox a bunch of things about like, wow, I like the show a lot more this week without you on it. Um, this one really cemented Trevor as my favorite co-host of the show. Just make sure you don't send him stuff like that because it's really, really mean. Um, and we obviously support him getting the booster. And uh, yeah, I know we're going to lose our biggest listener of the show right now, Adam's mom. Uh, she's not going to be sticking around. So, uh, But I, I implore you, Adam's mom, to stick around and listen because I'm going to be talking about Princess Diana. Uh, moms love Princess Diana and also a, a new Edgar Wright movie. You, you know, you love Edgar Wright from all of those films he made and uh, also a spooky movie called Antlers. I'll be covering all three of these movies on the show very briefly. Um, so yeah, stick around and, uh, and listen and enjoy this episode of Genre Catch-Up. Hey everyone, true host and chosen one, Adam Cervantes Wagner here. Trevor talked a big game at the top of the show, huh? Of course, before an episode goes out, I always put the finishing touches on, but I guess he thought he could slip this one by me. This is his first and only solo show, and he couldn't even call it Last Night in Solo. But hey, that's why I'm your favorite host. Trevor wanted to get away with doing an episode without me, huh? Well, here's that special music you requested, Trevor. I thought it would be fitting for the intro of this episode. Welcome, everybody, to episode 49 of Genre Catch-Up, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of new genre films, hosted by one small-time coward. My name is Trevor Dillon, and allow me to introduce my co- oh, man, I mess up the introduction without Adam even here. By the way, folks, not going to be doing any edits on this one, so you're going to hear all the flubs. Take them in, enjoy them. Let's reset on that one. And I'd like to introduce my co-host for the evening. Oh, there's no co-host. Uh, like I said in the introduction, Adam is not here, so we're going to go wild. This is going to be a crazy episode. It's just me hunched in the corner of my bedroom over my laptop, just awful posture as always, talking about some movies. Um, what do we have on the circuit here? We have Spencer, of course, we're going to be talking about, Last Night in Soho, and then Antlers. Uh, truth be told, I am going to be talking about Spencer and Last Night in Soho, and then I'll be hopping off and going and seeing Antlers. If I deem Antlers not really worth discussing or talking about, then uh, I won't talk about it. So we'll see how this episode goes. And you'll know my review of Antlers just based on whether I'm willing to talk about it or not into a microphone by myself. First up on the docket today, we have the new Pablo Lorraine film. If you don't know Pablo Lorraine, he made a couple of movies that you might have heard of. Um, he made a Chilean film starring Gael Garcia Bernal called No!, he also famously uh, made a Hollywood picture called Jackie, starring Natalie Portman. And then uh, this year, actually, he dropped a very, very good film. The American release was this year, but I believe it came out officially in 2019 on the festival circuit, called Ema, which uh, I played at the Frida Cinema this year. And, spoiler, will absolutely be in my top ten movies of the year. I absolutely loved it. It's like a, a wicked, woman-scorned film. Uh, I wish it had gotten more attention, but if you haven't seen it, please see it. Basically, what I'm saying, Pablo Lorraine has never missed in his 2021 film about a very critical weekend in the early 90s in Princess Diana's life. 
is no different. I think that this is a movie that I can say very safely I enjoyed a lot. On Letterboxd, I said I would have made a U-turn right when I left the theater to go see it again, and I stand by that. The reason being, uh, you're going to hear a lot about the uh, father, the son, and the house of Gucci, the, the Holy Trinity later this year. I think the Holy Trinity is Johnny Greenwood doing the score for a movie that's directed by Pablo Lorraine that's starring Kristen Stewart. When you think of a woman on the edge of a nervous breakdown, you think of Kristen Stewart oftentimes. Uh, she's very fidgety, very socially awkward. Um, we have no choice but to stand. She's been absolutely fantastic for the last decade plus in almost every role I've seen her in. And you also think of Pablo Lorraine, who basically is making these operatic films from Jackie onward about women going through tough times. And um, I think saying tough times is really, really underselling what Princess Diana is going through and the weekend portrayed in this film. Uh, I really think off the bat that we have to discuss this movie versus Jackie. Spencer versus Jackie. I think a lot of people immediately are going to which film they prefer. It does seem like there is a, a trilogy happening right now. Uh, obviously, you have Jackie Spencer, and we'll see what the third movie is going to be. But, I mean, it could be recency bias. I haven't seen Jackie since probably the day it came out. I went and saw it at the Arclight Dome, uh, which, you know, is the best possible way to see a movie with cinematography and costuming like that. Um but I think I do like the approach to the storytelling in Spencer slightly more than the straightforward approach that he took with Jackie. Um, there's a lot more here. By the way, um, I won't be doing any uh, spoilers for any of the three movies I'm talking about today. I'm just kind of lightly touching on them. If you've seen them, hopefully you'll enjoy it. If you haven't, maybe I'll sell you on it. But um, there's a lot of surrealism in this movie. Uh, so there's, it almost is directed like a horror film at times, which I really, really enjoyed. It made me think, you know, I say this often when I watch a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, whether it's uh, killing of sacred deer or the favorite, I would love to see a horror movie from Yorgos. Uh, same goes for Pablo Lorraine. Like these guys, I feel like they can announce tomorrow that they are remaking the shining and I wouldn't care. I'd be like on a technical level, I would love to see what they can do with heavy genre stuff. So when Spencer hints towards the genre stuff, uh, I absolutely adored it. There's some awesome montages in there. I've already mentioned Greenwood's uh, just completely overwhelming score, not unlike Michael Levy's score from Jackie uh, Lorraine. He really, really leans on it. And there's just a lot of art to be had here. Um, we'll talk about Kristen Stewart in a moment. I mean, I, there's really not much for me to say other than, knocks it out of the park. Uh, there's a rough scene right up top that had me a little worried. And then after that, I think she's just, she's just great. The way that she uses the frames she's in, she's just constantly doing stuff and making decisions that I'm just, I'm loving every moment of it. So um, this is of course coming out from Neon, who I think continue, I have the biggest crush on Neon. If anyone listens to this show, they know that as a programmer and as just a film fan, any, anytime I see that Neon logo before something, I'm very excited about it. But I think that a movie like this just continues to push them past A24, who I, th I think used to have the crown in the quote unquote indie world, but you know, uh, these directors, these auteurs are going more often to Neon. Um, and I know this film was, a lot of their movies are acquired, but they uh, seemingly have awesome taste. And this is just another thing 
that they can put in their cap is just a, another, um, I'll say it, great movie. So uh, Kristen Stewart, obviously, Titanic in the lead role. You have Sally Hawkins, who does uh, some really great stuff in a supporting role. And then uh, Timothy Spall uh, is second build in the picture. And God, I couldn't think of his name throughout the whole thing. I was just like, I've seen Timothy Spall in a million movies. And it was bothering me the whole time, but he's always great. Everyone loves Timothy Spall. And then Sean Harris, obviously from the Mission Impossible movies, we saw him in The Green Knight earlier this year. He continues to take these little roles in these A24 movies or these neon pictures, and he's really, really good as the head chef in this movie. So um, I don't want to oversell it or talk about it for too long, but uh, I really, really liked Spencer. And I think anybody who's looking for high drama that borders on surrealism surrealism uh what a big word for me to use on this podcast and also just a little bit of a hint of genre here and there i think they're really really going to enjoy this um uh, again i don't want to overstate it so check out spencer and let's move on to last night in soho last night in soho of course a new movie by edgar wright um I have made absolutely no secrets about the fact that I love Edgar Wright's movies. Um, I am a huge fan of the Cornetto trilogy, of course, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is, to this day, as a 30-year-old man, one of my favorite movies still. I think he fell off a little bit with Baby Driver. Uh, like I mentioned with Jackie, I saw that opening day at the Arclight Dome as well and tried to convince myself that I liked it, um, even though... Mm, I didn't like it as much as I would have hoped. Uh, even though it was rated R, it felt very watered down and not like the other movies he had made. You know, he co-wrote these movies with Simon Pegg, uh, three of them right out the gate that are, you know, they have cursing in them and they have violence. And I know this isn't what makes a good movie, but it really seemed to fit his style of directing a lot better. I mean, even Scott Pilgrim has like a, a, quite a bit of violence in terms of fighting and stuff like that. And Baby Driver had some shootouts. It had some very cute, um, and that's just the worst word to use when you're talking about a car chase movie. But it had some cute sequences. Um, it just it what didn't it didn't work for me. And uh, it, I know it's easy to say that in retrospect with the whole Ansel Elgort and Kevin Spacey stuff, but I, I it, it never worked for me. It doesn't work for me until this day. I think it has a great poster, but I think that's where we have to start when we talk about Last Night in Soho, which is his homage to the Giallo movies he watched growing up. Um, everybody knows that Edgar Wright, and by the way, I'm just going to be recycling a lot of my takes that I used on an episode of Aya versus the Big Boys recently, which I was very happy to be able to guest on. Uh, it's like one of my favorite podcasts, and my buddy Kevin Cookman, who uh, used to volunteer with me, I was also a volunteer when he was a volunteer at the Frida Cinema, has gone on to just be an awesome critic, and you should definitely follow him. And he's been on this podcast. He was on our Handmaiden episode. Um, him and then one of his um, co-workers and friends, Aya Lehman, who's also a fantastic writer and I'm a huge fan of. Uh, they have their own podcast called Aya vs. the Big Boys, where they talk about quote-unquote boy movies and kind of deconstruct um, the most patriarchal art form there is, film. And uh, we had a blast talking about Last Night in Soho, even though... Um, like I was mentioning, Edgar Wright likes to ape Brian De Palma, much like Brian De Palma used to like to ape Alfred Hitchcock, but uh, Alfred Hitchcock and Brian De Palma are both absolute freaks, just dang freaks. And they made freaky weird movies uh, about how much of dang freaks they were. And I think what it comes down to, and again, I'm not going to spoil it too much about this movie, 
is that Last Night in Soho is exactly what Baby Driver was. It's watered down. It's not enough of anything. It doesn't commit to any lane for something that wants to be so genre-based. It's basically the tamest version possible of a Giallo movie that could be... And and, uh, something that I was horrified listening back to my episode of Aya vs. the Big Boys was Kevin asked me at the end to program two movies because that's my day job programming Uh, my night job is being a bad podcaster by the way um and he said to to kind of get the taste of last night in soho out of everybody's mouth what should you watch and i like yeah i kind of deferred to him saying like you know way more about giallo movies like i know quite a bit about giallo movies and i don't know why these two movies came out but i said suspiria which is like the most basic possible giallo movie to to say to someone like everybody knows about suspiria everyone's probably already seen suspiria so terrible recommendation by me even though Wright is trying to do the suspiria thing here with soho and then the other one I, I mentioned, um, which is a pretty good one-to-one with Last Night in Soho, is um, uh, Black Swan, which, again, everyone has already seen. So these are two terrible, terrible recommendations. What I really should have said is uh, Phenomena, which is the Jennifer Connelly, Dario Argento movie that is truly bonkers and in every single way. Like, if you haven't seen Phenomena, it's not strictly giallo, really, really at all, but it's what this movie should have been even half of it should have been bonkers in any way there's a moment towards the end of the film where we get some good old-fashioned violence and for a brief moment we're having fun and being like wow like i really like this but like everything leading up to that moment it's just it's just not enough of anything and it's it's a bummer because I think what we talked about on the I versus the big boys podcast is it feels like a filmmaker who is afraid of negative discourse happening to his films. He's really letting his public perception get in the way of the movies he makes, which is crazy because I love Edgar, right? He, he sent an intro video to uh, a Scott Pilgrim versus the world screening that we did at the drive-in this year. Uh, last year, I should say. Super nice. He was in the editing bay for this movie and he took the time to like literally say like, hello, free to cinema drive-in crowd. Like, thank you for coming out for Scott Pilgrim and all that. He's a great guy, but he's not famous enough to like, like if he were to make a movie that would have even just an ounce of negative discourse, like, I mean, he, he wouldn't get in trouble for it. I don't understand. Like he made Baby Driver, which like stars two people that have been one that's been soft canceled, one that's been hard canceled. And there was still no negative backlash towards Edgar Wright. So I don't know exactly what he's afraid of, but that's what it feels like. It feels like his pen is afraid to write something even slightly controversial, which, you know, I'm not going to say the Cornetto trilogy or Scott Pilgrim are controversial, but they didn't feel afraid. Um, And this movie feels afraid. And I think Thomas and Mackenzie, who I'm hearing a lot of criticism of people not liking her voice, which is kind of an odd thing to say about an actor. But uh, I think she's great. She's always great. Like she's been probably the best part of every movie I've seen her in. Leave No Trace, best part of that movie. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, absolutely the best part of that movie. Uh, Old, somehow very, very good and old, even though the performances in that movie were very inconsistent. So she steps in here, um, and like I said, I really enjoyed her performance as sort of, like I mentioned earlier with Spencer, uh, the woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Um, Like uh, I mentioned, sort of the Black Swan-esque role, 
of someone who's under too much pressure and is going to snap. Uh, but I will say she's, um, it's not a competition, but she's not the best thing in this movie because of course, Ms. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is in this film and she's not used to her full potential, but every scene Anya Taylor-Joy is in is just that, an absolute joy. So there's a 20 minute stretch of this movie and it's obviously, um, you know, in the first act, probably the first 30 minutes that really had me thinking that we were in for something special with this film, but at the end of the day, it just fell completely flat for me, and um, I, I, I'm not going to act like I didn't enjoy my experience seeing the movie. I sat there for two hours, had some popcorn, and I, I actually enjoyed my time watching it, but that's me with most movies, and I just expect a little bit more out of my buddy Edgar, um, because he's one of my favorite directors. So I'm not going to say I'm hurt, but Edgar, we do need to push the needle a little bit with this next one. Whatever we're going to do next, it needs to be like, why are we wasting our ratings? Like this movie bombed horribly in the box office. And it's like, well, sheesh, if we knew it was going to, you know, bomb anyway, just go ahead and make like a crazy movie. <laughs> like it just feels kind of full of regret. And it sat on the shelf for a while. And I don't know. No, no, I'm not suggesting there should have been reshoots or, he co-wrote the script with Christy Wilson Cairns, who wrote uh, co-wrote with Sam Mendes, 1917. So there was someone there kind of helping him out. Uh, and I'm noticing on Letterboxd that there's a 3.6 out of 5 rating here, which is, again, not a bad movie. Um, although I know a lot of people would definitely disagree with me. Um, I know Aya led the conversation off by saying she went home and disassociated for about two hours after watching it. Like, that's how much she actually really hated the movie. I can't pretend that I hated this movie. Um, the, the aesthetics of it are, are just too strong, and he's too good of a director for me to really ever hate. I mean, I mean like, what, I'm going to hate a movie uh, starring Anya Taylor-Joy directed by Edgar Wright? No. But I, again, like I said, I do expect just a little bit more out of my favorite director when it comes to this. Uh, also, uh, Matt Smith of mostly, as I know it, Doctor Who fame, he's in this, and I don't typically like him in a lot of stuff, but he was perfectly fine in this movie. So this movie has a lot going for it. One thing that I will notice is that this is a Giallo movie, and Giallo movies, um, you know, specifically the Argento ones, a lot of times he would work with Goblin, the band Goblin, and deliver these awesome motifs and incredible scores like I'll, I'll literally sit around just listening to giallo music because I, I just enjoy it this movie unlike uh unlike spencer which had an awesome score from johnny greenman i don't remember the score for this movie at all i just don't understand how we're not pairing edgar wright visuals with an awesome motif that's just kind of iconic immediately like i was just, i wanted to see an American Giallo movie, something that Brian De Palma gave us quite... I mean, not an American, because this movie is <laughs> vehemently British. Uh, I, I meant I wanted to see Edgar Wright's take on a Giallo movie, and I just feel like I got, like, the worst possible, most boring version of that. So, um, we stand Edgar, we'll see whatever he makes. He has a blank check forever in my mind, so... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> after shitting on this movie for five, six minutes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say if you have interest in seeing last night in Soho, I'm not telling you to not go see it. I'm just saying be weary because it's just not quite as good as I wanted it to be. So that was last night in Soho. Let's get to our final movie. Uh, that's going to be Scott Cooper's antlers. Okay. I'm back from seeing antlers. 
Um, I haven't given a lot of backstory or what these movies are about that I've been talking about today because I figure that people who listen to this podcast know what Last Night in Soho or Spencer are. But I think it's possible you might not know what Antlers is. Like I mentioned, this is directed by Scott Cooper, who some of you might know from Crazy Heart fame, the film that Jeff Bridges won his Oscar for, as well as a movie that came out a few years ago starring Christian Bale called Hostiles, uh, Out of the Furnace, also starring Christian Bale. And then he made the Whitey Bulger uh, film starring Johnny Depp and a bunch of other actors called Black Mass. So I've stated before, I typically have problems with Mr. Cooper's movies. Uh, being completely narratively inept in my mind. Um, he gets typically okay performances from his actors, who are his casts are always stacked full of people. So, watchable movies for sure, but just definitely not my speed. Um, this was sitting on the shelf for uh, a couple of years. And I'll read you a little plot synopsis here. Tagline is, Pray it desires not you. Uh, a young teacher discovers that her troubled student's father and younger brother harbor a deadly supernatural secret. I like how brief that is because it doesn't give away a whole lot, and neither will I, but it stars Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, and then um, a young actor named Jeremy Thomas who does a really good job. Um, first off, performances, like I said, uh, good. I haven't seen Carrie Russell in a star in a movie. Uh, I didn't watch Lost. I didn't watch Felicity, so I'm not tip. I'm not really up on her work. I know she had a, a great scene. You know, one of the few good scenes in J.J. Abrams' last Star Wars movie, which I'm blanking on the name of, <laughs> Rise of Skywalker. That's right. Uh, she jumps in and has a scene with Oscar Isaac where the movie finally slows down and two human beings are talking and acting with each other, and it's like by far the best scene in the first half of that movie. But She's good in here. I mean, she has to carry the movie quite a bit, um, playing a woman um, who is going through quite a bit of trauma, uh, which seems to be the through line here on this episode. Um, Jesse Plemons is always good, and he's he's hamstringed here by some pretty rough dialogue, but he does his best, as always. Uh, speaking of through lines, um, the one super positive thing I can say about Antlers is that it looks really, really good. Um, looking at the cinematographer here, uh, Florian Hoffmeister, who I had never heard of, but brings this insanely nice, I'll call it a Pacific Northwest palette to this movie. And it just every, literally almost every shot looks just really, really great, um, despite how Cooper is directing the film. Uh, and uh, Florian Hoffmeister's only major credit that I can see is that they shot um, Mordecai, the Johnny Depp movie. So interesting to see them make this shift from something like Mordecai over to Antlers and uh, knocked it out of the park. And I, I do want to say that the cinematographers on all three of these movies uh, absolutely knocked it out of the park. We have uh, Claire Mathon Mathan, uh, sorry, I don't know how to say it, from um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Atlantic's fame, who shot Spencer, did an awesome job with that. And then we have Edgar Wright working with a new cinematographer, Zhang Zhenghun, who we know from The Handmaiden. Uh, he shot The Handmaiden and some of Park Chan-wook's stuff. And yeah, all three of these cinematographers really bring their A-games to these movies and elevate them. But of the three films we've talked about today, this one is, like I mentioned earlier, a bit dead in the water. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, if it's a pattern, it's a pattern. I think maybe I'm done with the Scott Cooper movies. He um, takes a pretty good, creepy premise here and just really doesn't do much with it. 
Um, there are some good scary sequences. I mean, maybe he should stick in this genre uh, a couple more movies and see what he can work out. But the movie, I guess you could say it moves at a deliberate pace. But for me, it just kind of just floated along looking pretty and not really delivering anything that I could just bite my teeth into. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was some CGI in here, which I'm usually a no, no on when it comes to horror movies and creature features, but, uh, was really, really well done. And I can, I actually really could tell that they were using a mix of practical effects and CGI. Um, not a, not a whole lot here, really. I mean, the, the trailer shows you pretty much everything that you'll need to see in this movie. I was hooked by the trailer that I've been seeing for the past two years since, like I said, this has sat on the shelf for so long. But if you're a huge fan of creature features and you find yourself in mid-November really craving, needing to see something even halfway scary, uh, I'll recommend Antlers to you. But everyone else, um, I can actually fully give this a full skip on... Um, sorry, I don't have much more to say about this one, but, uh, I wish I could take the easy way out and make the easy joke when it came to this movie. Cause earlier I mentioned if it wasn't worth talking about that, I wouldn't talk about it. Um, and I wish I could just say, thank you for listening to ghost party radio and just kind of skip this, but there's some stuff here. There's something here and it's possible that, like I said, horror is Cooper's genre and you know what? Uh, maybe he should stick here. And we'll see what he can do. But um, it probably doesn't hurt to have Guillermo del Toro producing your movie. um, Because he's always going to bring, obviously, the great creature effects and stuff. So, Um, Antlers. Don't know what else to say about it, really. Other than for a movie that was completely made, hypothetically, for me. Minus the director. It didn't deliver for me at all. So, um, that'll do it. I mean, these are the three movies that I thought definitely were worth going and checking out it turns out that one of them i really really liked one of them i sort of liked and wished there was more to it and then the third one i didn't like at all so a nice range here from three new movies um i'm gonna do some solo plugs here you can always follow me at trevor dills on instagram and twitter you can follow my uh, letterboxd where i basically just write pithy little things about movies that i watch that's at captain dills terrible name that adam always makes fun of me for and then always follow us at Ghost Party Picks on all of our social media uh, to see what we're doing on this show and rate and subscribe. And you guys know the rest of it. But this was a weird one. Definitely um, just kind of sitting here by myself talking to a microphone uh, out of breath the entire time for some reason. <laughs> um, and I am excited to have Adam back and maybe we'll get some guests in. I think that the next episode, which is episode 50 for us, is going to be us at least you know, from numbers 25 to 13 saying what our top 25 movies of the 2010s are, because I realized that not only was our, you know, favorite movies of 2021 episode, our most popular episode and people seemingly wanted to listen to us talk about the movies and rank movies and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a good way to finally get to know our film taste 50 episodes in uh, hearing what we liked from, you know, recent movies i I know we could uh, joke about how we only watch movies that were made in the 2010s but i think it's a good place to start and maybe for episode 100 we'll take a step back a decade and do our top 50 of the 2000s or something but make sure to turn in oh there you go i almost made it like a full 30 minutes without any flubs other than right up top but make sure you tune in to listen to that 
And um, after those uh, part one and part two episodes, we'll be back to just doing whatever shows we want with uh, some awesome guests. So thank you for listening to this. I I really wanted to deliver an episode this week. And we have officially um, served like a little, like a little bottle of genre ketchup. Like, you know how there's the big bottles of ketchup? And sometimes they just bring this uh, little... You made it this far, huh? Well, I apologize on his behalf.